Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. If you are interested in learning more about our organization, please go to georgiamta.org. Today, we are joined by Christy Helfen. Hello, Christy. Hello, Bebe. Let's get started. Tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. Okay, well, I am a private piano teacher. I have a studio in my home here in Stone Mountain. And I also, for the past 11 years, I've been teaching uh, private piano at Oxford College um, of Emory University. Really enjoyed that. I am doing some collaborative piano playing, which I really enjoy. And I am a church um, accompanist, um, along with another person. I go every other week, and so that's been really great. And and other accompanying opportunities that come up, I'm I'm open and accepting of them too. So now, tell me about your journey to becoming a professional musician. Okay, well, um, thankfully, my father was uh, he played the organ and piano. And so he was not exactly classically trained, but he, he was more interested in jazz and um, contemporary pop music of his day. And so he was really interested in my brother and I, my brother's seven years older, um, in taking piano lessons. Well, and actually at that time when uh, we started, we had an organ and not a piano. So um, my brother, of course, was taking lessons long before I was, but I became kind of enamored. I would just hang out around the organ and watch him practice. And so my parents could tell I was real interested. And um, so they started me pretty young. I think I was not quite five on the organ. Um, of course, I could not begin to reach the pedals, but so that was that was how I started. I, I think they put us with a really great teacher in those early years. Um, and that was in Michigan. Then we moved to Kentucky. And so um, they put me with a different teacher, of course, and I was moving along with him. And then about when I reached the fourth grade, we got a piano and life changed for me. I just, I fell in love with the piano. And so my, my parents could see that I, you know, wanted that really more than the organ, but they kept me on both lessons on both instruments for quite a few years. So when I uh, approached junior high school, they put me with another teacher. This teacher was a, a church organist. And so she was continuing the organ and piano. Then this teacher got a call from um, a local uh, Methodist church that needed an organist. And, and they wondered if she would recommend somebody. And so I was very fortunate when I was in the ninth grade, um, she recommended me to be the church organist. So I did that all through high school, which was a tremendous benefit to me, especially with sight reading, because we would have choir practice and 
Sunday morning, Sunday night services, but constantly, you know, in choir practice, thrown a new piece just about every week and, and having to prepare all this music to play on Sunday. So I, I credit that with, with teaching me good sight reading skills kind of thrown into it. And I was still pretty young, you know, so, and then in high school, I, um, I also, you know, played for my next chorus in high school. And I uh, played for some musicals that my youth group did and various things. So that was my high school experience. Do you want me to keep going with college now or? Yeah, I would love to hear it. <laughs> okay. I went to um, Asbury, it was Asbury College, then now University, uh, a small Christian liberal arts school in Kentucky. And I was not sure I was going to pursue music at that point. I, you know, I just didn't know. And so I just kind of went with an open mind. And, and in the first week or two of school, I saw signs up for auditions for the music department. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll just audition, you know? <laughs> so I did that. And, um, and I remember, oh my gosh, I've, I've thought back to that audition and thinking I, I should have played something much different than I did, but oh, well, they, they, <laughs> they let me in the program. And, um, so I, I, once I got going in that, you know, and the, the teacher, the professor was much tougher than what I had experienced, of course. And that was, you know, that was a little bit of a battle, you know, and I, I you know, when you're in your small hometown, you're kind of at the top of the chain, you know, and everybody thinks you're wonderful. And then you go somewhere and you realize there's a lot of other very talented people. And for a while, I just didn't feel like I was adding up to what my piano professor thought I could do. So I, I really pushed myself. That was, that was a good thing. And, um, and then as I was uh, going through college, I got a lot of opportunities to accompany for student recitals. Um, I accompanied for a traveling uh, singing group that went overseas and got involved with some, some traveling ministries and, and playing, uh, accompanying them. And so that was really great. Okay, so the journey can... Sorry, I, I, I think you've already clarified, but I just want to clarify for anyone who is also wondering this question. Did you study organ or did you study piano in college? And how did you make that decision, one or the other? Yes, I, I studied piano and I was trying to think when I made the, the switch. I think by the time I reached about 10th grade, even though I was doing the church organ job, through high school, I, I switched my lessons to only piano at that point. And also when I did that, I went, I went to a different teacher who was more leaning toward the classic, you know, classical training. Um, and that, and I should have mentioned her, she's the one that got me really interested in classical music. I think up until about 10th grade, I was I was playing some, but not not a strong focus in it. She also encouraged me to go to a, a keyboard institute one summer at the University of Kentucky that was a three week long program. And that was that was a wonderful experience. So, yeah. So the decision to focus on piano came came about 10th grade, I think. And then, yes, in college, 
uh, focused on piano. So you're in college, you're studying music, you're playing a lot as an accompanist um, and even traveling because of that. Then you graduate. What happens after that? Well, um, I went to Costa Rica. <laughs> um, so how, how that happened was, and, and this is a, such an interesting thing too, but I, I was involved with some people uh, in college that had, I guess, kind of founded or in the real early beginnings, they had founded a school, bilingual uh, Christian school in San Jose, Costa Rica, that the students went half a day in English, half a day in Spanish, and they were looking for English, native English speakers to teach the English half of the day. Okay. So I just, I didn't have anything else on the docket. So I, I went and um, it, it was, it was a pretty tough year because I taught third and fourth grade English and science and those students didn't, they said, oh, by third and fourth grade, they'll know English pretty well. They didn't. So it was, and I knew a little Spanish, but I wasn't supposed to rely on that, you know? So anyway, that was, that was an interesting year. And I ended up staying in Costa Rica a year and a half, but a really interesting thing. And I think this was kind of a divine thing that happened when I, when I got to that school's campus, the music teacher at the school. So granted, you know, I wasn't teaching music. I did know the lady that was teaching music, but she told me that the San Jose National Symphony Chorus was looking for an accompanist. And the director of that chorus had gone, you know, had contacted somebody at that school to see if they knew of anybody. So, oh boy, you know, my heart kind of leapt at that. And so I, I went to audition for this gentleman. His name was Marco Ducey. He was from Chile. And um, thankfully, his uh, all the rehearsals uh, were in, in Spanish. So, oh boy, you know, I had to really listen, but he spoke very clearly. But yes, I. Uh, another amazing thing that happened was when I auditioned, he put this music in front of me. Uh, it was a piece called Tadeum by Zoltan Kadayi and kind of a modern piece. And I had sung that piece in all state chorus in high school. And I was like, what are the odds of that? You know, that I would be familiar with it, you know? So that was, that was tremendous. That's probably what got, got me. <laughs> but so I had a wonderful time accompanying that chorus and we did, we ended up doing the Messiah. I was a rehearsal accompanist and then they asked me to play the organ with the symphony when the chorus performed it there at Teatro Nacional. So that was a big highlight of, of my career. <laughs> That's incredible. So you spend a year and a half there and then you decide to not stay. And so where do you go? Do you come back to the States? So I come back to the States. I'm back in Kentucky, you know, um, uh, just go back to my parents' house because I'm not, not sure what I'm going to do at that point. And so I, I'm looking in basically in the paper for, for music jobs in schools because my, my degree, um, my bachelor's degree is in music education, emphasis piano. But so that's what I was looking for. Well, well, I didn't see anything in my local area, but I, 
I came upon um, a place called Hindman Settlement School in, in the mountains, kind of back in the mountains of southeastern Kentucky. So I don't know if you know what, have you ever heard of a settlement school? No, uh, I have not. So it was real early uh, in the days of settlement in that area. They didn't have vast public schools. And so these were small schools that popped up in areas that, that really needed teachers. So, um, but today the, well, or I say today it was um, about, golly, you know, almost 40 years ago, I guess that I was there. But um, today that organization hires um, music and art teachers and puts them in the schools that, that can't really afford to hire those people. Anyway, I was, um, so I, I took the job at Heinemann Settlement School, but it meant I traveled to three different schools in the area. I did that for a year. I was also, I'd accepted a choir director position at my church that I had been playing the organ at through high school. So that year I was driving back and forth, probably it's a two hour drive, uh, coming home every weekend to do the choir church choir job and the organist. Uh, so that was, I don't know, right now, I don't know how I did that. <laughs> I don't think I'd attempt it now. I kind of want to go back to the beginning of your story, talking about studying organ versus piano. So um, if you can elaborate a little more on the differences of playing these two instruments from an outsider, they are both keyboard instruments. Obviously, the organ has the pedal. But what are some other differences that might be and might not be immediately noticeable to an outsider? The first thing that comes to my mind is that the advantage I had of starting on the organ, I had to learn good legato playing, good connected fingering. And that helped me when I transferred over to the piano to really make sure I was not relying on the pedal all the time, you know, to, to make my uh, sound connected and lyrical. I'll, well, another, <laughs> another thing I noticed is so... At my college, we had this incredible organ teacher, He and he could improvise just amazingly. And I thought, I, didn't, I had not taken any organ lessons there, but once I, my program, I had, we were on the quarter system. I had to go four years of course, and then one extra quarter to do my student teaching. So my, my uh, senior recital was over in that, that spring. So I thought, oh, I'll take some organ lessons with uh, Mr. Faber. And uh, <laughs> oh my, my eyes were opened. I, I realized I never really learned the pedal technique, you know, the technical heel toe, all, all of that. And um, I thought I was going to kind of breeze through that. <laughs> But uh, no, I so it, it made my respect for organists grow much, much higher. They um, the ones that have learned all, all those technical things. But yeah, it was it was I think it was just too much to juggle two instruments, you know, and, and so my love was was for the piano. But that was a, one advantage was that learning that legato, you know. What was practicing like for you as a child? Were you self-motivated or did your parents have to force you to do it? 
I was pretty self-motivated. I mean, I, I think once you start playing outside of your home in different places, people are very encouraging. So that, that kind of spurs you on when you see the value of what you're doing in someone else's eyes. I left out one part of my story, and that was when I was probably, it was probably before we got to piano. I think I was in third grade, maybe second grade. I, I told my parents, I want to quit. And I didn't know what they were going to say about that. Cause apparently um, I just did not want to practice probably is what it was being lazy. And they wisely let me just stop for a year or they just let me stop indefinitely. And then after about a year, I was like, you know, I miss this. I you know, want to get back to it. So I think at that point, my practice, you know, obviously picked up and then you, you know, you get into high school, you get busier and busier and, I can relate to to Jan Adams in the the after dinner dishes <laughs> when when your mother would ask you to help with dishes. Oh, I I probably should practice now, Mom. You know, and 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 so and thankfully my brother was seven years older. By then he was out of the house, or he would have just nailed me on that. Big time. <laughs> That's great. What are some challenges you have encountered as a musician? Oh boy. The biggest challenges now are are just finding time to practice. So in the last five years, I've teamed up, maybe six years now, I've teamed up with a duet partner, Pam Martin, and um, we've done now three collaborative concerts. We're working on our fourth one, which we're kind of tentatively setting for probably next March we're real excited about. We, we decided to do a program this time of all 20th, uh, 21st century music. And so we get together, we try to get together once a week and, and practice for a few hours and on an afternoon. But I have got to practice that music. There's no way I'm going to skimp through there without putting the time in. So that's the hardest thing for me right now is when I'm teaching, now this summer I have more time, but during the school year, when, when things are real, real busy, it's budgeting that time in. I think that's the biggest, biggest challenge. Describe your journey as a teacher. How have you changed from your first few years of teaching to now? So my first few years of teaching were when I came, came back from Costa Rica and I was teaching in the classroom for a few years, but also some private students too. And, you know, I'll, let me just, I'll, I'll kind of go into that by talking about, you know, and I, I've been teaching pretty much ever, ever since then, pretty steadily, just maybe, maybe a few years not, but I'm married, I had three children and then raised them. And I was teaching piano through, through those years. And the studio built up more and more through those years too. But as, as my students got more advanced, I felt like I needed more training. I was starting to think I better, you know, hand this student over to somebody else. But my plan was to go back to school and get a master's. So I, I did that when my youngest child graduated from high school I began working on an audition for a music program. So thankfully, um, I live in Stone Mountain and Georgia State 
has a master's program in piano pedagogy, which is what I would obviously want to focus on. So I worked on an audition for about a year and uh, I was shaking in my boots, but I <laughs> I did the audition, you know, and um, and they, they accepted me and, you know, I was even a grad assistant teaching group piano and, well, I can t- tell you a lot about that experience, but say all that to say when I was working on my master's and took taking pedagogy classes and then just getting, becoming a student again. And I'd find myself saying things my students would say to me like, oh, I didn't do that at home. I don't know why I'm doing that here. Why is that happening? (laughs) Oh no, (laughs) I'm saying some of the same things, but yeah, that gave me a fresh look at some of the newer piano methods. I'd been in one particular method for quite a long time and started looking at newer things. And so I would say in the beginning, I thought, okay, you go, you pick a method to teach your students. You stay through that method. You teach every single piece in that book, or you're not up to snuff, you know, have to hit every piece and then take them through every, every level of that series. And I don't do that anymore. I take them as far as they need to go in a series. I mean, it depends on the student, but usually once I see that they're reading really well, I try to introduce more classical literature. If I'm seeing that they have a real joy in working on that. So, and I, and I try to lean toward, especially for older students, adult students, really to what their goals are, what they want to work on rather than just teaching a method. Um, what would you say is the balance between talent and work ethic when it comes to determining student success? Oh, that, that is such a good question. Well, when you ask that, I think of a student I had, she was an elementary school student and, you know, moved moving along pretty slow, but she kept trying. She kept plugging away. And one day I would not have said this young student had a tremendous amount of talent, you know, but one day she came in, just like the light bulb went on and she was just, I think her reading skills, her, it just, everything all clicked and she just took off from there. And I often think of her when I, when I have a student that's really struggling or moving really slow, how any moment that can happen with anybody. So I'm always up for the challenge, even if, um, you know, if the parents can get them here on time, you know, (laughs) and we can have our time and, and get that in. And I, one thing I do with my students, I have them log their practice time and I give them rewards at the end of the month. If, if um, I give them each what I think should be a minimum amount. And I used to not, that was one thing that changed along my teaching. Cause I, I never thought you should do that. And then my own children were in this extracurricular band orchestra program, and they were doing these rewards on log and practice time. I thought, I think this works. So, but it, it keeps them accountable and in, you know, they don't, I don't force them to do it, but you know, I can tell the parents, you know, if you don't see that they get this minimum time in, you're probably not going to see much progress. 
what do you do about the student who doesn't practice and shows up with an incomplete log or um, I don't know if you ever have any students that just write zeros for their practice log <laughs> about that. Oh, that. Those students usually just forget their practice sheets and don't have them with them. <laughs> no, um, I look at the situation with each student, you know, I know, especially with the pandemic, it's been so hard on these kids and they've, they've had to do so much online. And I try to be sympathetic to this, you know, maybe there's a home situation that's been difficult. So I try to be understanding of that. And, and, and I'm just, I'm just honest with the parents and I'll tell them, you know, look, we're just, I feel like your child is capable of so much more, but they're not putting the time in so we're not seeing the progress do you want to keep going you know and i i let them make the decision then and so there there have been times that you know some super long dry spells with a few students but i can think of one in particular now that's he's back this summer and um and putting his his time in and doing doing much better so i always think there's a chance they'll come around do you have any musical or pedagogical projects you are currently working on? Yes. Well, I, I recently finished a project I started many years ago, and that was when I was in grad school. We had to do a, a master's project of some type. So I decided to choose the topic of working with retirement age adults. And the reason was I, before I went to grad school, I, I had some, you know, retirement age students that, and these people were, you know, highly intelligent people. I think one was a retired nurse, one was um, a retired high school counselor. So they were very capable, but I was looking for, you know, the right method to use with them and, and shopping around and tried some different things. And it just... It just felt like it was not moving at the right pace. Like they were they were having to play chords too soon, or just jumping to different levels of things quicker than they were able to grasp. So I thought, okay, I'm going to see if I can develop a method that I think goes at a better pace and something that's visually very clear that the pages aren't too crammed with things, the print's big and, you know, that moves at the right pace. So, so I started this back in um, 2007, I guess. And I was, I was, gave the presentation. It, it went well and everything. And I thought, oh, I'd love to see, maybe I can publish this one day, you know? Well, then I found out, oh no, there's too many things that are not in public domain. I, I'd have to either get permission, you know, from the publishers and all that. So it, I, I've realized that was going to be too intense of a project. So I, I decided at some point, I'm just going to take all the pieces out that aren't in public domain and substitute them and try to hit the, the pedagogical area for that piece that I wanted. So um, <laughs> what I've been sitting on it for years, I think because as after I got out of grad school and things started picking up for me as far as jobs and things, I just didn't have time, you know, and I was a little slow at entering things on the software and <laughs> trying to trying to enter those things, you know, when you don't 
you don't even have a staff system yet or, you know, <laughs> figuring all those things out. So when the pandemic hit, I thought, I am going to finish this thing. This has gone on too long. So that's what I did. And I, I finished it last summer and then I sent it um, to get copyrighted. That took quite a few months. And then um, I, I think finally in November, I got the, the copyright. So it's the book is called Piano Now. It's never too late. I have copies if if anybody's interested that's hearing this um, or I can tell you more about it, but it's a beginner method. Uh, it's about a hundred pages long and it's, it's suited toward retirement age. I, I think I said age is 60 and up retirement. That's kind of a vague, uh, you don't know what number that is, but, and people have told me, you know, why did you put age 60? You could have put, but I just, I, I feel like there's nothing I don't see anything out there really very, I'll say very, I see very little out there geared toward that age group. So I'm hoping that will be a selling point for people. Great. How can people reach you to find out more information about this method book that you have created? Um, the best way would be just email me at pkhelfen at yahoo.com. All right. I want to ask you about this particular age group. What is unique about this age group that you found um, they needed um, a method series of their own that other adult books could not work for them? What are some characteristics you can highlight for us? I felt like they needed a lot of help with hand position, you know, body position, I talk about those things a lot at the beginning of the book. You know, in, in a lot of method books, it'll show you some diagrams of how to sit and that's great, but you don't hear much about it after that. So I tried to bring that in quite a lot. Are you remembering to curve your fingers? Are your wrists in a good position? And, and, and that kind of thing to make it comfortable for them. I tried to choose pieces that I thought would really appeal, which I, I know a, a lot of adult method books are doing that, trying to choose pieces that appeal. One of the things I did was I visited a couple of senior facilities and, and, and did some surveys with them to find out what kind of music they, they would be interested in learning to play. And I, I did a, a smattering of um, folk songs and hymns and patriotic songs, it, it just tried to pick a, a good a variety of things I, I thought they'd enjoy. So the, the main thing was just to, to introduce the concepts at a, a good pace, not too fast. Let them play single lines in each hand, you know, one hand at a time before you try to do intervals in one hand or the other, and then do work on it, keep it, you know, do some harmonic intervals for quite a while, then add the chord. That was, that was one of the big things for me was, it was just, they, they couldn't get their hand. The arthritis um, made it more difficult. So they just needed a slower approach. 
Yeah, I wondered if there were some ailments that tend to happen um, at an older age um, than an adult who is in their 30s or 40s starting piano that uh, can make it difficult for someone who is 60 or 70 or even 80 that are trying to play piano. And, you know, the, the posture thing that has to do a lot with physical health. Um, you know, being able to sit up straight might not be something that they can do comfortably at that age. And, and arthritis, that's a, a perfect point, an illustration of some unique maladies that they have to struggle with. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So I think, you know, playing the piano is so good for those things, you know, especially for the arth arthritis. I think it's, I've, I've had people tell me, you know, they feel like they can manipulate so much better after, after playing piano. So. Tell me about your time in GMTA and MTNA. How did you hear about the organization and what has being part of it meant to you? Well, GMTA has, has just been such a wonderful asset to me. So I was busy homeschooling my kids until, well, I, the, the last one graduated in 2005. I waited a lot of years to seek out a support organization. I felt like kind of a loner as, as we all do, you know, before we do, do uh, join a group. But I just felt like I, I've got so much going, I can't do it. But by about, I guess it was around the year 2000, 2001, that I thought, you know, it's time. I, I, need, I need this, see, and I, I was seeing my need to get other ideas from other people. So I, I went to a music store, you know, one of the music stores uh, near me that I thought, well, I'll ask there, you know, they'll probably know. So they put in, put me in touch with somebody. Her name was Fran Thrailkill. So I, I called Fran. Fran was a president of GMTA in, uh, in the late 90s, maybe the mid 90s, I think. Um, they put me in touch with Fran. And Fran invited me to come to the Decatur Music Teachers Association. So, so I began going to that and getting to know those teachers and just was having the best time at those meetings, getting to know people. And one, one of the great things that happened in those early years was um, a lady named Mary Hindley directed a piano ensemble group called Redeemer Piano Ensemble. It was a group that started uh, back in the 60s or a long time ago. And it has four pianos, two people at each piano. So there's eight pianists and the Mary directs. And um, so I, I joined that group, I think in 2003. That was, that's just been a wonderful experience. You know, we haven't met during the pandemic and um, I'm not sure what's going to happen now, but anyway, I had a lot, lot of years, you know, up until about, well, right before the pandemic with that group and that introduced, you know, playing in an ensemble like that introduces you to so much new repertoire and a lot of orchestral things, you know, that have been arranged for piano ensemble. So I, f I felt like I was in a, in a college class. As a matter of fact, when Mary was directing that group, it was, she started it in a, in a college. It was kind of like a community class thing. So anyway, so that, that's been, was a wonderful 
experience being a part of that, um, which DMT opened up. Then, you know, when I started thinking about going back to school and I was, you know, I was really not sure if it was the right thing or if I would survive it, <laughs> if I would even get in, if I got in, would I survive it, you know? But um, I asked one of the ladies in our group who we call her the teacher's teacher, Janine Morrison. I don't know if you, you, you might not know that name, baby, but she was, she was one of the early teachers of the year, GMTA teachers of the year. She was maybe the second one or so. But I asked Janine, I said, Janine, I am thinking about going back to school. So to get a master's in piano pedagogy. And I, I wanted to know what she thought about that, number one. Number two, do you think you could coach me for a year to get an audition ready? You know, and, and she was so encouraging. I'll tell you, if she had been, if she had said, oh, Christy, you know, I don't, that's an awful lot to tackle. <laughs> if she'd said that, I think my, I would never have attempted it. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, there were people put in my life at strategic times to, and she was one of those people and, and she just taught taught me so much um, and got me ready for that audition so well. Let's see. So your question was, so going through GMTA. Yeah. Then I, as I was in um, DMTA for several years, took various positions in the, in the local uh, group. And, and then I did some things with the state over the years, it's just put me in, the network has been so incredible, the network of people. And I enjoy judging a lot too. And so I've met a lot of great people all over the state doing that. And I can't say enough great about GMTA. Can I back up and ask about the piano, uh, piano ensemble? Did you meet together to rehearse or were there performances as well? Yeah, basically we did a performance most years in November, um, we usually did a, she would time it around the GMTA conference. We'd either do it the weekend before or the weekend after, but yeah, so we basically, every year we've tried to prepare new repertoire to do for a November concert. And then we would hit, when January hit, we'd start our new, new year of repertoire. I have a follow-up question to that because it is a piano ensemble, which requires multiple pianos. Where did you get these pianos and how did you move them on stage? Because most stages don't have four pianos for you to use. Exactly. That's a huge obstacle, isn't it? Trying to find a place to practice and, and perform. What I, I remember one other thing I was going to tell you and I'll get to that. So our practice night was Monday nights, okay? We would practice every Monday night during the school year, basically for about two hours. So we did get in weekly practice. Mary Heinley, um, our director, when she was um, teaching at what was then DeKalb College in Georgia Perimeter, now it's part of Georgia State, she was over in Clarkston. She would have the practices there where you had the, the pianos, right? And they would just put them together well, when she retired from there, she was a, she's been a longtime member of Redeemer Lutheran Church in downtown Atlanta, real close to the Fox Theater down there, one of those older churches. She worked it out that we could practice there 
so the the staff would on Monday nights they would just roll get the four pianos just upright pianos from some of the Sunday school rooms and things get them all into one room and that's so ever since I've been a member that's where we rehearsed then when it came to concert time we would rent pianos okay and amazingly Mary funded a lot of this herself I think I think the church might have helped her some, but we would have four grand pianos brought in from one of the local piano stores. And they would bring them in on a, a Wednesday. We'd have Thursday, Friday, Saturday practices on them. And then our concert would be Sunday afternoon. So yeah, we, we had a system, but yeah, it, it, it takes a lot of planning to, to do something like that. That's a huge undertaking. And I just wanted to ask about the details in case anyone who is listening is interested in embarking on a similar project in their area. So thank you for that. This is our last question. What advice would you give to young pre-collegiate musicians about life with music? Number one is take advantage of the time you've got now to do you know, as much music as you can, because you're only going to get busier. Um, and, you know, focus, you know, your, 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 your interests are so divided when you're pre-collegiate, but, and, and, and some people, they, they discover early on, oh, this is what I want to do, but most people are not in that category. So try to make time for it because you, you don't know what role music is going to play in your future. And also, you know, be flexible. I mean, I guess this is more as you get older, but be flexible to opportunities that might come up. You, you might get asked to, to play for a wedding and you think, oh, you know, I don't think I really want to do that. But maybe that, that's a stepping stone to something else. So I think that's, that's important. Look at look at opportunities and you can't say yes to everything but um, look at opportunities as they can be stepping stones where things one thing can lead to another and so just just be open and and give it your best one of the one of the greatest words of advice i ever got i hope you don't mind me mentioning names but i these are uh, dmta people that i love dearly ellie Fibish. ellie was a longtime member of the redeemer piano ensemble and our very first concert that I was in, okay, I was very nervous. I thought, oh, they're going to kick me out if I don't do very well. <laughs> I was very nervous. And, um, and Ellie just looked at me and she said, just go out there and have fun, you know? And I thought, oh my gosh, that's what it's all about. And so I would say that to young students, just have fun with your music. It's it's such a joy. It's such, you know, you can take a break from studying for a math exam or something and, and come and do your music and just have fun. Well, thank you for that, Christy. Thank you for your time. Thank you for chatting with me today. And thank you for sharing your insights with all of our listeners. I wish you happy teaching and happy students. Same to you, baby. Thank you so much. <laughs>